I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Susie Orman Schnall. We Her new book is We Came Here to Shine. Gorgeous Vivi is the star of the Aquacade, synchronized swimming spectacular, and Plucky Max is a journalist for the fair's daily paper. Both are striving to make their way in a world where men try to control their actions and where secrets are closely kept. But when Vicky and Max become friends and their personal and professional prospects are put in jeopardy, they team up to help each other succeed and to realize their dreams during the most meaningful summer of their lives. Susie Orman Schnall's story is one of ambition, friendship, and persistence with a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at the extraordinary New York World's Fair. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, HuffPost, Pop Sugar, Writers, Digest, Glamour, and many more. Welcome to the show, Susie. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Well, I know you've written many or several books that are very popular, and this particular book, I guess Travel and Leisure, has said it is one of the 20 most anticipated books of summer 2020. So talk to us about the book, what's going to make it so popular? Why are we all going to want to, why is it going to be one of the 20 most anticipated books of summer 2020? Yeah, it's been getting on a lot of lists, which has just been wonderful and so reassuring um, because it's a, it's, a, it's a weird summer, as we all know. And um, so I was very, very happy to see that it made all of those lists. And I think that the reason why is because it's very uplifting. A lot of historical fiction is centered on wars and, and troubling stories. And uh, my book, uh, We Came Here to Shine, is historical fiction as well, but it's a happy historical fiction. It's very uplifting. There are no wars. It's definitely set in an interesting time in American history. Um, in 1939, when the Depression was coming to an end and World War II was starting, but the World's Fair of 1939 was a time of, of great innovation and great hope, um, and it was just really a special time, and I was so excited to set a book during that, that time period. When did you start writing the book? I'm assuming that you, did you write, did you not, I mean, we've only, well, the pandemic, you know, started what, in March, or we started quarantining in March. Uh, I'm assuming that you were writing the book before then. Yeah, so I wrote the book um, in very early 2019, um, I had been working on another book for all of 2018, which I thought was going to be this book, but um, and it, it had some similar characters and a similar theme of the Aquacade, which was the synchronized swimming spectacular show that was at the World's Fair, although uh, the book that I was writing was set in the 50s and with an undercover journalist based on Nellie Bly. Um, that book didn't end up working out, and when I went to, or, to revamp it and rewrite it, uh, I decided to set it at the 1939 fair itself. Um, and so because I had uh, spent a year writing another book, um, I had to do this one quickly. So it was just within about four months of uh, early 2019, got it into the publisher in June and, and went through, of course, the, all the rounds of revisions that it took. So it was pretty much a 2019 project. So, Susie, how do you do that? How do you change your mind about, you know, say goodbye to one thing that you've been writing and putting your whole heart and soul into for a whole year and then suddenly leave it? I mean, it seems to me that's horrible. Yeah. Catherine, I can't even tell you. It is so horrible. And the more I talk to other authors, the more I realize that we all have books in either actual or proverbial electronic drawers. 
but it was really it was really an unfortunate situation because I loved that book. There were definitely structural problems with it, and in order to fix it, I would have had to basically create a mafia story. It was it's hard to explain, but my character was going undercover at a revival of the Aquacade, and she was uncovering graft, and it was it just got to be too. Um, too much. It's hard to explain, but it definitely wasn't working. So I made the difficult decision with my agent and my editor to kind of stop working on that book. Um, it will never see the light of day. People always ask me, well, can you, know, can you, can you use it some other time? But there are too many similarities to the story between what that was and what this book has become, although I think I only used about 200 or 300 words from that original draft in this new book. But it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. I think failures are necessary in life. Um, it made me stronger. It made me more resilient. And it gave me the opportunity to practice some grit and move on. Yeah. And is it necessarily a failure or is it something that maybe you needed to do to get to this point? You know, you sort of, it, the book evolves. It evolved into something exactly. else. Yeah. So exactly. It was, yeah. I, I have to look at it that way. Now, from a woman's perspective, because we're talking about, I think I mentioned it in the beginning when I was reading the intro, I mean, this is all about women and women, strong women and who overcome, we don't want to give the the book, you know, the whole story away, but uh, let's talk about the themes, women, ambitious women, women who uh, are able to get ahead, make friendships, become, are persistent, even when people uh are standing in their way and try to control them. Um, I love those themes. So let, let's talk about that in relationship to the to the story. Yeah. So all of my books have focused on women and ambition in some in some way. This is my fourth novel, and um, I I'm just fascinated by the topic. And the women in this story uh, would have been born around 1920, so they'd be about a hundred now. And I think that we I I'll speak for myself. I've always kind of dismissed is the wrong word, but I've, I've always underestimated, let's say, what those women were like when they were young. We kind of assume that they didn't have, the, I kind of assume that, oh, well, they couldn't have had the same types of ambitions and dreams that I have because it was such a different time back then. But the more I study and read about women from that time period, I realize that we were, we're all the same. We all want the same things. We all want to dream. We all want to realize our perfect personal and professional ambitions, but the the structure around those dreams, around whether we're, A, allowed to even dream those dreams, and B, to act upon them and have them become realized, were so vastly and drastically different. Um, So I wanted to explore that, and the inspiration for this novel came from reading the autobiography of Esther Williams, who was a professional swimmer and actually starred in the Aquacade in the 1940 Golden Gate Exposition, which was the San Francisco World's Fair, which is how I found out about the Aquacade in the first place. But Esther Williams was an incredibly accomplished, feisty, ambitious woman. And uh, her story really inspired me to look beyond uh, my own assumptions about women from that time and and learn uh, what life was like for them in my, you know, in my own way. Of course, I wasn't able to be exhaustive, but, um, but I did get a, a taste. So Esther Williams, that's interesting. And, and I think there's a very well-known film that I've seen, maybe an old, an old film, a film of the 40s about her life or in the 50s, not the 40s. Yeah, but, the, the yeah. Million, well, 
she starred in many, so all the Busby Berkeley swimming musicals uh, starred Esther Williams. She had been a, uh, a swimmer when she was younger, and then she was working in a department store when she was hired to star in Billy Rose's Aquacade at the age of 19. Uh, and after that, it started, it launched her film career, and she was so successful in all of those swimming musicals, and her stories are fascinating. Um, I don't even remember how it is that I came to have a copy of her autobiography, um, but when I read it, it just, it, it, it changed everything, and I knew that that's what I wanted to write my novel about. Is this novel so very, I mean, you have themes, similar themes in, in, in all your novels, as you're saying, but um, how does this one stand out? What, what would you say would be the big difference between this and, and some of the other your work that you've done? Yeah, well, my first two were contemporary women's fiction, so um, the On Grace is about turning 40 and a woman returning to the workplace, and that somewhat mirrored some of my personal experiences. I was going to say, time. was that you? <laughs> it, I mean, first novels typically are. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's some aspects of it are, some aspects of it are not, but it was definitely I wanted to explore some of the things that I was feeling about um, my own challenges of being the type of professional that I wanted to be with being the type of mother that I wanted to be. Um, and that is a good segue to my second novel, which is called The Balance Project, which was inspired by a series of, of interviews that I did with women, and there are 175 of those interviews up on my website where I explored the topic of work-life balance because I was struggling so much with it myself. And this was at a time back in 2014, 2015, when work-life balance really was still the top of, topic of um, deep conversation for women. I think it's evolved a lot in the last few years for the better, but um, I was really struggling in terms with of evolving. I want to interrupt you because I know the whole work. First of all, is can there be a work life? But what is the balance? And and I think is in the past few years, I read a lot about that. Really, it's very. There, I don't want to say there's not a work life balance, but it's very different than let's say we thought it was for like five, six years ago even. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think that's the evolution that it experienced, that we were, there was a period of time when women were striving to, um, to have work-life balance, and then I think what happened was that the entire um, framework of that discussion and, and of that, um, that ideal kind of blew up, and people were like, well, there is no such thing, and we shouldn't be striving for it, because when you attempt to have it, you're only going to fail, and whose idea is it anyway? And, you know, um, so I learned so much from the interviews about that nobody can really have work-life balance if you, um, in, in the ideal sense of it, and that everybody is making sacrifices, and so I used that knowledge to write the second novel, The Balance Project, which is fiction, but it explores work-life balance from the perspective of a 25-year-old woman and her 45-year-old boss. Um, and then I decided to write historical fiction because I had heard about on NPR uh, the Miss Subways contest, which was a New York City advertising program for the subway system from 1941 to 1976. It was essentially a beauty contest. And the winners uh, got their photo and a few lines of copy about them in advertisements that were posted throughout the subway system. And I just thought that was fascinating. And I was interested in who the women were who, who entered this contest, who won this contest. How did it change their lives? And so when I started doing research on this, I became fascinated by it and thought it would make a great premise for a novel. And that became The Subway Girls. And I was really able to... 
um, try to explore in that book what it was like for women. I set that book in 1949 and modern day alternating storylines. I was really able to look into what uh, young women in 1949 uh, were going through and, and the ambitions that they held and then juxtapose that against a modern day woman. Um, and it was really, it was interesting how that came about. And then for we came here to shine. I, I also wanted to do two characters, but I didn't do the dual storyline. And what I did was I was able to kind of um, highlight what that time period was like for ambitious women by showing how different two women of the time could be. Obviously, we're all different. There are, there's, there's every different um, personality. But um, So I have Vivi, who's very much uh, more of a rule follower. She's my Hollywood actress who has to swim in the aquacade. And Max is my very... Um, she's more like a Catherine Hepburn type. She's very, she's very bold. And it was really fun to write those two characters because they were so different, but you see how they both evolve and um, go along a journey throughout that summer as they face the obstacles in their workplaces. It's interesting how you take women from each one of the decades. And as you say, women were all different. That's true. But the, uh, but each book seems to reflect obviously the influence of, What's hap- the culture and the politics of the time. You're talking about women in their 20s, their 30s. What are you saying? The World's Fair, 1939, and then 1949, post-world, you know, yes. after the World War II. That changes everything for women. So it's, uh, uh, it's very, it is, I, I like the fact that you, you do that, that you, you know, you start in, in different decades, actually. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's yeah. fun to it's fun to see, and it's also interesting to get the reactions of women um, who would be those ages when they come to my book talks. And I always like to say that Charlotte, my character in um, the Subway Girls, who was around twenty in nineteen forty nine, she's the same age as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So you look at someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and you're like, she, you know, she certainly broke through every box that would have society would have placed around her. Um, and so it was possible to be done, but it was just so hard, I think, for women to basically stand up against every single um, constraint that was placed for them by themselves, by their education, by their families, by society. So certainly wasn't easy to do. No, definitely not easy. And uh, Ruth. Bader Ginsburg, um, obviously someone uh, to be admired, but sh- she is special. I mean, it's sort of really hard yeah. to set your, <laughs> you know, we have that bell-shaped curve and she's way at the other end in terms of her talent and her intellect and her education and you can go on and on. And she made a good choice, it seems, to which many women don't do in terms of a, a husband in the yes. context, yes, who was very supportive. So, um I think I've seen both of the films about her. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I have a grandmother who was born in the, she's dead now, but she was always, she went to finishing school at the turn of the century or at the begin, and always lamented the fact that she never went to college and, you know, was, mm. the, but, uh, and spent, you know, that was something that was something that affected her her entire life. Um, she married well, but. There was always that I didn't go to college, and that was always something that bothered her. And of course, then her daughter mm-hmm. did, and then I continued with graduate degree. So it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So tell us uh, the book. I want to, now in the context of the pandemic. 
um, people are and women are going to have had different challenges uh, in the, just in the past three or four months, work-life balance, working at home, all kinds of things, right? How do you think they're going to, the reaction to your book, will that be different than, what do you think than, let's say, pre-pandemic? Yeah, I just think it'll be a nice escape. I think it's um, an opportunity to go back in time to a uh, really extraordinary um, event in our history, especially in New York City history, but certainly the history of the country and the history of the world. There were 60 different countries who built pavilions or had exhibitions at the World's Fair, and it was a time of great innovation. The dishwasher was uh, introduced, nylons were introduced at the fair, television was introduced. In fact, the first television um, broadcast in our country was the opening ceremonies of the 1939 World's Fair on April 30th, 1939, when FDR himself opened the fair. And um, so it was still a time in American history when uh, technological innovation was monumental when 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 something could come out and it shocked people because of how much it would transform their lives. In fact, one of the most interesting and somewhat charming now looking back on it uh, exhibits of the World's Fair was GE had something called the Battle of the Century. It was a show that you could attend and you sat in the audience and up on the stage were Mrs. Drudge and Mrs. Modern. And these were two women, one standing in front of a sink and one standing in front of the brand new GE dishwasher. And there was an MC. And at the beginning of the show, each woman was, uh, was given a pile of dirty dishes. And it was a contest whose dishes could be washed faster. And so you'd see Mrs. Modern load all of hers into her beautiful, gleaming new dishwasher while Mrs. Drudge washed her dishes. And this was entertainment to watch, watch people wash dishes and learn about the dishwasher. So there are so many fascinating stories about things that took place at that fair that I, I just dove into the research and, and still do. I'm still reading about it so that I have interesting stories for my talks, but it's, it's just, it was really a remarkable time. So to answer your question, I think that um, people are looking to get away from the news somewhat right now. Um, they're certainly looking to embrace the news and understand what's going on. And certainly our country's reckoning with racism. I think everybody is looking to educate and, 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 and understand what's going on. But then they're also looking um, to have some time to just relax and uh, enjoy and sit maybe at a pool or the beach and, and escape into another world maybe a, a yep. more pleasant and uh, certainly not without its issues, but the parts that I sort of present in my novel are the lighthearted and interesting and fun um, antics of two young women in 1939. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We, need, we definitely need an escape. We have plenty of news 24-7. Uh, <laughs> that's not a problem. But what about now? Okay, so you finished this novel. This is... What, does do you already know or, or like or have any idea of what the next novel is going to be? <laughs> or are there ideas percolating? So, I, I yeah, so many ideas. I don't really know what to do with all of my ideas, but there are two that keep bubbling to the top, and I haven't started um, one yet. I was really planning on starting my my next novel last September. Um, 
but something came up in my life and that kind of got pushed to the side and then the pandemic happened and now my book launch is happening and now the summer is going to be filled with all the book stuff. And I'm not one of those authors who's constantly working on a new book. My, I approach it in a very cyclical way. Um, so I usually am not writing a new book while I'm promoting a current book, but I'm expecting in September to sit down and, and finalize what it is that I'm going to write my next book about. And I'm kind of thinking I might want to go into to the domestic speculative fiction genre, which is more like a lightweight handmaid's tale. So definitely speculative, which is, uh, that's, I know that's not a, a, a word a lot of people know outside of the industry, but it's kind of science fiction without the science. So it's imagining another reality for our world, but not in a very scientific way and a, not, in a, not in a dystopian way. So Wait, give us an example. The, Can you give us an example and without giving yeah, away the book so, or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, a very popular book recently was The Farm um, by, I think her first name was Natalie Ramos is her last name. And I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her first name. But it's about a kind of a, a farm in the sense of where women were hired to be surrogate mothers. So for, for wealthy women, professional women who couldn't be bothered to have, I mean, obviously there is surrogacy for a great many reasons, but in this book in particular, the women who hired surrogates was because they just didn't want to take the time off to have a baby. And so they hired these um, less privileged women to basically live at this residential facility, be fed certain things. They had, um, they had to exercise a certain amount of time. They had electronic devices on them to monitor them. And so it's just a really sort of fascinating look to the what if our society were like this. Joanne Ramos is her name. I apologize for that. It, so it that's the sort seem, of thing. I have a couple well, ideas. Well, it's interesting because it doesn't seem that far from, it doesn't seem fictional in any way. It seems quite realistic. and it. Yeah, it's, and that's the like, thing. It's, yeah. it's something that you can imagine happening. It might not be in existent right now, but um, so could be So fun. we could be heading in that direction. Exactly. And that's what all speculative fiction is like. You're like, how far, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, how f- hopefully we're, yeah. n- we're not going to live in that, in that sort direction. of society, yeah. but. <laughs> that's interesting. Okay, so that's, I had never actually, I had never heard of domestic speculative, speculative fiction. Yeah, I made up uh, the domestic part. So oh, speculative you did? speculative fiction <laughs> is, yeah, I think I did. I don't know. I haven't heard it before, but um, it's because there's, there's a lot of, so in the thriller and suspense genre, there's a new uh, subgenre called domestic suspense, which is more like um, the girl on the train and more kind of um, less horror and more commonplace thriller. I don't even know how to explain it. And so my idea of speculative fiction domestic is more like delving into the contemporary fiction, women's fiction, but with a speculative angle to it. So we'll see. Yeah, so domestic, meaning, let's talk, expand upon that. What do you mean? Yeah, what, I, I, you mean? know, it, I guess it's, it's a word that the publishing industry uses, and it's meant to be just more um, reality, home, family-based, I guess, maybe lighter, less, less scary. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Lighter, less scary, um, a less yeah. more in the in the um, in the um, domain of a daily life. 
I'm probably doing a horrible job of explaining it, and I'm sure somebody could explain it much better, but... A day in the life of, it's it, it having to do with domestic, domestication, women. Uh, yeah. That's, well, right. That's what we're talking about, right? Um, yeah. So tell us something you, you mentioned. Are you going now, and I've asked um, many of my authors who have been on the show, I mean, right now with the pandemic and actually, uh, unfortunately, it sounds like in some states things are getting worse. Are you going across the country? Are you going to, to bookstores if they open and giving talks and talking about your book? Or is this all your promoting being done online? It's all online right now. All of my bookstore events are on Zoom. And um, so I don't have to leave my house. I don't even have to do the back of my hair or wear um, fancy <laughs> pants. But um, it's it's actually... I'm. I'm not as upset as I was originally um, to not be able to go and meet viewers. It's been a really engaging experience online um, and, you know, having readers reach out to me and um, all the events we're doing because on Zoom you can still see the people. So, you know, it's definitely a change. Um, and I know for some authors it's um, a significant change. My, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge book tour author in terms of, attracting hundreds and hundreds of guests to my events. So, um, but yeah, it's all completely different and it's interesting and it's still evolving. And there are some events that I'm supposed to do in the fall and winter that there was kind of a, the maybe it'll be in person we'll see sort of thing. But I'm thinking now that those were all going to be online anyway. Great. So give us some website. Since everything's online, there should be a lot of websites that we or websites that we can go to to get this information about you, about the book, and about what you're doing. Yeah. So all of my information is at suzyschnall.com, which is S-U-S-I-E-S-C-H-N-A-L-L.com. And I have an event calendar. I also have um, all of my links to social media. I have those um, balance project interviews if people are interested in reading those. Um, and I also have, did I say I have my event calendar up there? Oh, I also have um, a whole historical section of World's Fair history with some links and some photographs and um, a reading group section for uh, book clubs. Um, so that's all on my website at suzyschnall.com. That's great. And you also can go to the Catherine Zock Show, my website, find Susie's book, and you can order it from there from the link uh, to Amazon as well because, uh, um, that, you know, that's a good story, something we sh- – yeah, and uh, good book. We came here to shine. Um, Susie Orman Schnall, thank you so much for being on the show today. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and happy summer, everybody. Yep. Stay safe. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 